0: to time enough podcast. It's where we look at all of the episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here. Joining me today is uh, okay I'm not quite sure how to introduce you because' you're, you're the dude that writes lyrics for me. That, that's how I, I <laughs> how true. I think these days. yeah, we do we make a uh, have a musical yeah. collaboration that's been going it,
1: for it, how did, well, your introduction was good right there. We do uh, you know songs together. I write the the lyrics, you write the music and perform them. So, yeah, we met in an interview, though, when you interviewed me on another show, one of the shows you did.
0: That's right. And that's, uh, I I guess, your main um, claim to culture, the universe, whatever. (laughs) But uh, yeah, this has to do with your participation in the 1970s channeled Seth classes, which I think, and I I haven't even said your name yet. Hi, Barry (laughs) Gellis. Anyway, like um, I was like saying, it's kind of a, a you know a bit of a. We have a lot of trekkies around here that, who may have not heard of this particular concept. Uh, could you give a, a brief introduction to what that is?
1: Yeah. yeah, Seth was a supposedly. I agree with it. He, uh, first of all, Jane was a medium in the nineteen sixties and seventies. She died in eighty four. Jane Roberts, and she channeled uh, Seth. So Seth was a personality or an entity that no longer needed a physical body. Uh, and had all these concepts about um, you create known realities, time is simultaneous, you know, death is no end. And she, she you know, she, she, di- she spoke, sort of dictated the books to her husband who took longhand notes. And in that fashion, they did about 10 or 11 official books. And then there's something called the early sessions. Those are all the sessions leading up to the first official session for the official books. And then there's something called the personal sessions with things that didn't fit into the books while they were doing you know, book dictation, but it really was not their personal. So all in all, there's like nine early session books. There's about 10 or some so official books or 11. And then there's about seven personal, the personal session books. So know, there's about 30 or so books, I don't know exactly, and that are dictated. So that's, and also, she had classes, what they call classes. From uh, she started, nineteen sixty four, about, and she she died in eighty four. So, in nineteen um, about sixty seven, she started having these classes in her living room, and they went on for about ten years. Also, and those classes produced transcripts each week of what said said. So I was at the. Set classes from 72 and 73, for about a year in that in that period of time. One of the New York boys, they, and Sue Watkins wrote a book about class, and she they called us uh, the New York boys because we would travel five hours from Queens up to Elmira, and then five hours back. So it was like a 10-hour journey. And in between, there was Jane's four-hour class. So we'd leave like one thirty. About Tuesday afternoon, we'd stop to eat on the way there. We'd get to Elmira and the class around 7, let's say. The class was from 7 to um, 11. Maybe it was a three-hour class. And then that would be over. And then we'd go eat a little bit again someplace. And then we'd come home, another five-hour trip. So we'd get home about 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning. So so Tuesdays was a big – was eaten up by – going to Seth class for us Now we were in our early 20s and we weren't I think only one person was working and he was able to get to get that day off so it didn't interfere otherwise it would it'd be a bigger problem So that's what we did it was a 10 hour back and forth with the three hour class and um, that you know that's what that was so that was going to Seth class for us. Seth class was really we're just sitting in Jane's living room like it wasn't a desk like a class. Everybody was, Jane was on a rocking chair, rocking back and forth, talking, and everybody was kind of seating around her on, on the rug, on chairs. It could have been as many as in her living room. So it could be as little as 15 people, maybe as much as even 40, depending upon the particular week. And as everybody was, so the week before a transcript, somebody, you know, Seth spoke. So when, when the class began, Jane handed out the transcript from the week before, which is what Seth spoke. And so that transcript was handed around. We talked about what was said in the transcript. We didn't read the whole thing, but we had it. And, and then we had this, you know, group discussion. And you know, Jane might introduce a topic. It didn't matter. Other people could. And in the middle of it, Seth would come through. And Seth, Seth would then speak and uh, comment on things and add to the discussion or, or, or whatever. And so that that, and that she did that for about you know ten years. But I I, I was there for about a year of that. And my friends were there for about two years. In any case, so so Seth is this non-physical. I think he called himself a personality that no longer needs a physical body. And um, he had many incarnations. And there's, there's more to him than that. But anyway, that's Seth, and that's the Seth material, and the really interesting books. You know, they're more interesting than I'm than I'm making it saying because this it's just so. I can't describe it here. We won't get into it. But there's so many things and, you know, concepts that are just amazing. Right. And But I'm sorry, the one that connects to this show mostly is the idea about uh, you create your own reality, um, is a reality creation. So when we talk more about the show, you you, you see how that fits in into that.
0: Yeah, I was gonna sure. say the, the, the personal appeal of those books, for me at least, is kind of like as a um, uh, like a mind gymnasium, sort of like why don't you think about this this way, you know? And you can not not quite, maybe meditate on it, but just you know, go down an interesting train of thought that you wouldn't have gone through without reading that book. And also, like today's episode, the arrival, coming back to that book later and having it read completely differently, even though the words are technically the same, is that's hmm. uh,
1: But I mean, like. Like, like so I'm sorry, Seth's so idea, like, reincarnation, a lot of people believe in. But when you throw in simultaneous time that everything's happening all at once, it's, you know, possible to be to die in 1980 and to be reborn in 1970. You, you know what I mean? So you could actually meet your inca- reincarnational self. But, and he calls that a counterpart. And, um, you know, and he has the idea of probable realities that uh, there's infinite number of probable probable realities from which we kind of choose outside of linear time, what we want to physicalize. And this is an ongoing process and we're all in constant telepathic communication, telepathic and, uh, you know, subconscious with each other. That's how we make the agreements about what we want to do when we all meet, but we all have free will so you can change it anyway. So it it goes on and on with his, uh, his ideas. They're not, they're not what they sound like just by the labels, uh, Oh, well, you know, so yeah, so that, that's Seth. So I was involved with the Seth material and I I, um, I have an online Facebook page, which I don't know the address of and um, I, a book. And I actually wrote a book, Seth Class Q&A, which is someplace you can look at it on Amazon if you want, but that's not why we're here. No, when
0: you I know, started the podcast, I bad. was like, do you want to put this lens on an episode? And you immediately came out with the arrival, which at the time I was like, that's going to be a while before I get to that one, but. It's a while later. Here we are. So <laughs> uh, let me get some of the nitty gritty business out of the way. I'm just going to do a quick trivia dump for everyone about this episode. The original air date was September 22nd, 1961, and the script is by Rod Serling. Boris Segal directed this along with other episodes of The Twilight Zone and shows such as Night Gallery, The Man from UNCLE, and Columbo. In a twist that may be even too dark for the Twilight Zone, Seagal died in 1981 after accidentally stepping into the path of a helicopter rotor. I had to read that like three times. Really? That was just like... Everybody does that. Yeah, really. (laughs) Grant Checkley was played by master character actor Harold J. Stone. He took that mid-20th century path of starting out on Broadway, appearing in films such as Alfred Hitchcock's The Wrong Man, Spartacus, and X, the man with X-ray eyes, and later doing plenty of TV with appearances ranging from Hogan's hero to Barney Miller and having regular roles on several short-lived 70s sitcoms. Fred Wayne, that's Fred with two Ds, played Paul Malloy. He's already showed up in The Zone with the episode 22, and he would later gain acclaim with his one-man show, Benjamin Franklin Citizen. Finally, Noah Keen played Bingston, he will return to the zone in the trade-ins, and also had roles in shows like Perry Mason and the Virginian before closing out his career as Johnny Cakes on The Sopranos. So a little bit of a very but yeah, that okay. with the director, I was like, really? Seriously? So just you know, you can't make that stuff up.
1: <laughs> oh. So um Matthew has started. Am I might. You can see me. Oh, oh, this. You want me to read this?
0: Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, if, if you don't mind, we'll go quickly. Uh, you're gonna. That's okay. Give us the the prologue, please.
1: Yeah, I'm supposed to. Re- I am not supposed to. I will read the prologue. I found that you know ten minutes ago.
2: <laughs>
1: um, so I'll do my best. Uh, you can imagine Rod Serling and Rod Serling's voice. He's standing there. Uh, So he goes, this object, should any of you have lived underground for the better parts of your lives and never had occasion to look toward the sky, is an airplane. Its official designation, a a DC-3. We offer this rather obvious comment because this particular airplane, the one you're looking at, is a freak. Now, most airplanes take off and land as per schedule. On rare occasions, they crash but all airplanes can be counted on doing one or the other. Now, yesterday morning, this particular airplane ceased to be just a commercial carrier. As of its arrival, it became an enigma, a seven-ton puzzle made out of aluminum, steel, wire, and a few thousand other component parts, none of which add up to the right thing. In just a moment, we're going to show you the tail end of its history. We're going to give you 90% of the jigsaw pieces, and you and Mr. Sheckley here, of the Federal Aviation Agency, will assume the problem of putting them together, along with finding the missing pieces. This we offer as an evening's hobby, a little extracurricular diversion, which is really the national pastime in the Twilight Zone.
0: All right, Uh, thanks. So, um, yeah, really? go ahead. This is your choice. So, I, I guess I'm going to throw the talking points out in, in your direction. Uh, this is an episode I don't think I had seen before. Um, I notoriously only had like a third of the series on on disc before buying the whole thing. But this one, I definitely, after I watched it, I had to like go a little bumping around on the internet and kind of like, what does it all mean, sort of thing. It is it, a very esoteric episode, which is is kind of fun. So, you know, maybe we, that 10% missing of the puzzle is, is, what, I, is what bugs us all, but.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I think like most people in the 20th century, America uh, knows about the Twilight Zone, the, re, re, you know, the repeats of it on TV, the movies. So I love the Twilight Zone. And uh, it was scary a little bit, but not scary enough that it's horror, you know, horror and, and blood and gore. And of course, and then of the Star Trek, also. So Star Trek, um, Jane and Rob, that were involved with the Seth material, love Star Trek, and there are references in the material to Star Trek, and they talk about it here and there. But I wasn't prepared to have that. And um, so, and then somebody, uh, somebody was going to do a movie, trying to do a movie on this, Raul de Silva. And um, he said he knew Rod uh, Serling and he wrote his obituary, but they were friends. And he said that Rod Serling and Jane had communicated a little bit, you know, somewhat. And um, so I, I, I haven't verified that yet, but, you know, he would accordingly, well not accordingly, I don't know what the word is, but therefore, so Rod, Rod Serling and the Seth material did have a connection that he heard of it and, and they both liked each other. Um, but so what I'll do now, I have these notes I was going to read. And then uh, you can interrupt at any time, but then I, I can get in the points I wanted to get. So yeah, we sure. start that?
0: <laughs> Let's go for okay. it.
1: Okay. Some of it at the very beginning repeats what you said. <clears throat> uh, okay. Rod Serling wrote it, you know, the, the arrival. It was the first episode of season three. It aired nine twenty two sixty one. 61 That was about three years before Seth came through James. He came through like 63 or early 64. In the show, Grant Sheckley, who is the protagonist, says that the plane isn't there. But in in Seth's idea, oh, I want to interrupt myself. I wanted to see what it was like reading my notes without rereading them beforehand. So I'm reading them spontaneously for the first time now. <laughs> whatever that's worth. Okay. <clears throat> so in in the show, he says that the plane isn't there. But in, in Seth's idea of reality creation, that's what we're, what we're basically going to talk about. In Seth's idea of reality creation, of you create your own reality, the plane would be there. In in Seth's idea, the objects are superimposed on each other, like in the in the show, and each person sees you know if it's a plane of their number and and stuff. But if there is a plane there. It's not like it'll just disappear. According to Seth, that's what physical reality is. It's a reality of appearances. He calls it a camouflage reality. So in Seth, and the idea of reality create, maybe it's in here, I'll say. Uh, So Seth's idea of reality creation, or you create reality, would be the plane, the plane would be there superimposed on each other with all the discrepancies like in the show, but still actually physically there. This is the difference between Seth's ideas of reality creation and a person experiencing his own personal hallucination as physical when it is actually uh, not with physical at all. When you experience it as physical, that's not the idea of reality creation. That's just a mental apparition, you know, delusions of sorts. In the expansive reality, uh, it could be said that all the physical reality is not there because according to this, we conjure it up each moment. And uh, so it, it's kind of... but. That's neither here nor there now. So in the show, um, in the expansive reality, everything's the appearance reality. This is why I personally don't like the term illusion when people talk about like reality is an illusion. An illusion implies like it's not real. Whereas if you think of it as an appearance reality or a camouflage reality, you know, it's real. It's just not what it appears to be to the five senses. You know, there's more to it than what the five senses is. So um, he also said in the show that it could be ma- uh, mass hypnosis. That's what Checkley first believed or sometime in the show, which was very sensible for him to think that because uh, in the beliefs of the day, and he's a good investigator, you know, it made sense. So with getting back to Seth, though, you can, the um, you know, objects are not unreal illusions, but they are physically there. So um, I need this too cause I'm sort of,
0: I'm thinking the pivot scene here is definitely the um, the climactic scene of him putting his arm into the yeah. propeller. That's where reality breaks down. So up to that point, like, is that plane? It was real seventeen years ago. Yet. Yeah, is it real now? We don't
1: know. I it, the plane. I, I'm going to get into it. I think it, it mixes together. Um, later on, I'm going to say it. He could. If he could be having a lucid dream and not even aware of it. But yet it blends with physical reality also. So it's, you know, it, Twilight Zone, being in the Twilight Zone, you don't have to be totally logical because you're in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> but um, the show is a great story, mystery, or psychological drama of an inadvertent example playing with the idea of reality creation. It is important to remember that these concepts are not Seth concepts, but rather inner wisdom, ancient wisdom, eternal wisdom, or whatever you want to call it. Seth spoke them through Jane, but he didn't own them. He didn't make them up. He just knows of them. And uh, and it's there for all of us. We all have access to this information, <clears throat> which includes Rod Serling. So, I, you know, I believe subconsciously he was aware of reality creation on this level, was playing with the idea, or this is how the idea came through his consciousness, that in his subconscious, his stream of consciousness, he picked up on this ancient idea of reality creation. And he, through his filters, it came out this way in the story, or on purpose, he made it you know, come out this way in the story. Because um, this was all, he took it in the different directions of the actual set material, but it's playing with that idea, regardless of where it came from, for him, Rod Serling. So this is how it works using the plane as an example, reality creation via ongoing telepathic and subconscious communication and agreement, we agree on what the plane should look like and where the plane should be located. In reality, we don't usually notice the minor differences until something comes up to cause us to focus on them. Like in a a police report, everybody has to write down what they saw. So someone might say the perpetrator, you know, had had a mustache and he was wearing a blue sweater Then somebody else might write down, he didn't have any facial hair. He's wearing a a red shirt. These differences are natural, according to the theory of reality creation. But we usually either say, oh, somebody just has a faulty memory, or uh, they don't come up at all. But we agree in reality creation what the object is supposed to look like and where it's supposed to be, like a TV in a room. Five people walk into a room. They each create their own TV to see, all superimposed on each other. So we think that there's, they think, you know, there's one TV in the room, but really there's five different TVs superimposed on each other, and each person sees only their TV. And, you know, and that's how it, you know, that that's how it fits into the show, where they all see their version of the plane, although it appears that there's one plane there. In the show, it's an illusion in the sense that it's not really there at all. In the actual idea of reality creation, that's how... All objects appear, but they are there even though we each see our own object. So um that's how that works. We don't notice the minor differences. Um Yeah, again, coming into of this, this
0: episode, was... I actually like I as I, said, I hadn't seen this and um from the description I had this thing in my head where people were going to see like completely different planes, like one person was gonna see like a, a World War One biplane and then another would see the DC three, but like you said, it's not. A big obvious difference. It's like a very minor difference that I it seems to be hours or even like a day before they notice that they're seeing a slightly different plane.
1: I don't know how long you know, I mean that that they I thought you know they were there investigating it and then somebody mentioned the blue seat that clicked in his head and then he looked and he saw a red seat. That's how he got the idea of the investigator.
0: On a black you know, and white show. Was,
1: <laughs> yeah, which is important because if it was a color show we would be in on it before the characters realized it and that wouldn't be you know it's another it'd be another slant but as the viewer we would see oh he's seeing red he's seeing blue we only discover it through the character you know through them as they as it comes up that makes it more dramatic you know to to hear the explanation without actually seeing it ourselves so i don't think it's not done on purpose to be black and white but since it wasn't black and white that idea of each thing a different color uh, I think worked well, you know, that we we didn't see it ourselves. Um, so, oh, this, by the way, this is this agreement is, according to the Seth idea, you can put it to the show as well, is, as I said, ongoing telepathic communication. So everybody, like an event like this event, would uh, agree beforehand, you know, what the plane is supposed to look like and where it's supposed to be, um, but not all details might, you know, everybody could switch the details a little bit. And so in this investigation, it came up. Otherwise, you know, it, it didn't come up. It wouldn't come up usually, in the idea. Um, so, yeah. I wonder at the very end here. The ongoing will- telepathy, which we can also access in our dreams, can explain how Sheckley hallucinated the actual people who worked there, although they never met. Uh, I'm, you know, one of the things is, you know, how did he know these people if it if he's just a delusional how would he be delusional about the real people because in his delusion call it that the actual people are in in it and i'm just saying well it would be possible according to the set concept because via telepathy you know what who you could you could know what people look like you could create them because you you have a vision of them somewhere in, in your mind already and i'm sorry i interrupted i thought you might
0: well, that's just kind of the bugaboo of this episode because the plane vanishes. Oh, that's that's awesome. But these other two you know, sentient people also vanish. And when he finds them, they, do, they don't know him, at least not from that day. They, they remember from like years ago, you know?
1: Yeah, one knew him from years ago. And the other one, I don't think they ever met. Um, yeah, that was, that was great. You know, a shock in the show. You figure the plane would disappear. They never talk about the guy in the plane disappearing he also disappears, but then the three people he's talking to, you know, boop, 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 they each disappear. And that, that's a, you know, really a good, got my attention. You know, I was already when I watched this show as an, as an adult, not as a kid, was seeing, oh, he's doing that. Everybody, you know, it fits right in with the with Ukraine during reality. Each person creates the object they see. He, he has that idea there. Um, So, also, so this reality creation, it is, you create the objects you see, but you also use it, you attract people in events. So, um, you know, like if you meet somebody on, on a street corner or something, or who knows what it is, you've agreed beforehand that you're going to meet there. So that's also just as an aside, that's part of the telepathy, the ongoing telepathy that's going on. In, in this show, it's still unclear what's going on, Whereas is this a reality? Is it uh, it's delusion? I was thinking maybe it's like a lucid dream, but also at the same time he seems to be there because they talk at the end about him uh, getting arrested. Now that could still be part of his lucid dream, and this could be a dream he's just not aware yet he's having. You know, you know, it, it doesn't have that in the show, but I'm just saying that my belief system allows that as a possibility that maybe that's what's going on because it does get. Confusing, you know, I I
0: put in my notes, like, is he, you know, he's basically torturing himself. And I do wonder if he actually has been in this state of mind for what was it, 17 years since the the flight. Yeah. So, you know, it might be that he's having like constant delusional, lucid experiences. Well,
1: he it was 17. By the way, ironically, he, he, he solves this case. You know he's upset. You know the flight 107. It could be he was aware flight 107 was coming in 18 years later. Now this was the the only case he didn't solve in his 18 years, and he's a meticulous uh, in, in, investigator of these plane mis- missing planes, and flight 107 is the only plane he could not, the only case he could not solve. So that was apparently festering in him all these years, and now that flight 107 in the present of that show was actually arriving again, same plane, same, you know, from uh, Buffalo, everything's the same. That could have triggered him, his awareness of that because he couldn't, you know, he was obsessed in a way that he couldn't solve that one case. So I'm just adding here on, on the side that ironically, he did solve the case of the mystery plane, you know, why it was there, why it disappeared, you know, why it had different colors and everything. He solved it that it wasn't really there so he solved that case of the of flight 107. You know why uh, that it really wasn't the plane. Really wasn't there. So I think that he was triggered. He must have read it in the paper. I'm guessing, and this triggered him. Now did this trigger? Uh, he went to bed. He had a a lucid dream about it. He went into a altered you know like mental state. Found himself in this area because there's a blending of reality. And, you know, the plane landing, we saw them landing the plane, you know, the guy, the guy with the flags. And we saw without any funny film business, right when the plane landed, they noticed no passengers were there. So this couldn't just be normal physical reality. Because it's some kind of, it, it, that's why I think this whole thing at the beginning is his, I'm calling it a lucid dream. You could call it a. His, his, you know, whatever you want to call it, delusion, his, his whatever, his personal whatever. So the whole show, in a sense, it could start with, the, I'm, I'm going to say lucid dream, but you, you can substitute what you want, but not actual reality, because it starts with the, the passengers not being there. So it's not really starting with the plane landing. Like at the end, he's shocked. He goes, wait, didn't that plane didn't land? How, wasn't it empty? What is this actress doing coming off the plane? That that could we didn't see that at the beginning. We only saw his lucid dream of it, or his you know delusion of it, or, or whatever of it. So right at the start, we're not involved in physical reality, although we're we're tricked in a dramatic way into thinking it's all physical and it's all happening. And they even say so. The guy bangs on the plane, um, but. Then he goes to the office when, when um, and he meets the same people who are there. So this could be explained in, as a continuing lucid dream because in this invisible you know, inner realms, we do telepathically, we can know what people look like. So that could still be his dream, that he walked in and he had that conversation with these people. They thought he was crazy. Then he goes back and he's wandering through the hangar, and then it ends up he's getting arrested. Everything from the beginning of the show to the end of him, them mentioning he's going to get arrested, could all be a part of his lucid dream. It, it doesn't have to be, um you know. So th- that's how I'm looking at it now because it just had, makes sense. But it's a twilight zone.
0: Yeah, I also Go had ahead. the thought that maybe the tail end of the show is after waking up, as in the lucid or the we call it a vivid dream too. I guess because he doesn't seem to know it's a dream. Um, but you know, the feeling upon waking was so strong. Um, I I just know this morning, I just two hours ago, it's nine in the morning here. I woke up at seven. I woke up with kind of a fascinated unease because of the dream I had just had. So I'm like, you know, if you'd had something so powerful, it, it could maybe mentally crack you a bit as it did this guy.
1: Except you woke up in your bed. He wasn't in his bed. He was still in the hangar. So I don't think he woke up. You, you see what I mean?
2: Yeah. The whole show
1: was him in, in the hangar. So if you so it's blending together what really happened, which is the plane landed fine. He was triggered somehow. Somehow he's there. And somehow these people are seeing an invisible plane, like you know, which made sense with his uh situation eighteen years ago when the plane was just missing, was never found. So if you want the only you know way I I tie everything together that makes sense is uh, he's, the show begins in the middle of his lucid dream. I say a lucid dream because in that you're you're aware of what you're saying and doing. Uh, So that would make sense. Or if someone has a substitute vent that's like a lucid dream, but to me now, and I didn't think all this through until I uh, saw the end, this lucid dream part was when I just rewatched the show. if you throw in the lucid dream possibility from the beginning, when the plane is landing without people to the end where he's now getting arrested to me, that now could easily be all part of the same dream. He just hasn't woken up on the show. You know? Yeah. I like if ending... to show went on five minutes. If the show went on five minutes more, he'd be like you waking up in the bed, you know, and wiping his brow.
0: Yeah. Because the, um, yeah. the end is, is sort of like the, you know, like, I can't get from there to here sort of thing, him stumbling around, like not being able to move properly about the airport, you know, um, that, that well, seems, I, that's something I, I have that dream a lot where I'm like trying to get across town and there's like, I have too much stuff or there's too many obstacles yeah. that sort of thing.
1: Well, he's just in, in shot. I, I just thought of it as he's just, this is just emotionally too much for him. He's it, it happened. Now they're saying it didn't happen. What's going on. He never solved the case to me. He's just like having a, know he's just in shock he's just uh in in the bad state but he's still at the hanger there and the hanger is still a dream hanger because there's nothing else there nothing else going on so uh the more uh, the more i look at it now it does fit that lucid dream thing it kind of ties ties it all in you know Uh, um
0: i guess sometimes they say it's lame to just Tell your dreams, but I don't know we'll we'll consider telepathic uh, rivulets of thought and and consider that this might be pertinent to the episode. The the dream I was having was uh, three parts, three parts. One was like in a park, one was like at a school, and one was like in a kind of like um, warmly lit mansion corridor. And each time I think I'm younger and I'm with like a group of younger people and I'm not actively doing this, but there's one one person who's specifically kind of aggressive and taking an ant or something like like torturing the ant and then going up to larger animals like a cat and every time he gets to a monkey I like monkeys and then when he's pestering the monkey in front of us a door opens in the park it was very trippy because the door was out of nowhere in the mansion it was just a mansion door and uh some authoritative spirit like shows up and tells him to stop and then the dream reset and it was like the exact same thing but in a different setting so well,
1: similar in a way you know the, with the repeating of an event instead of the plane landing you have these of that event repeating for whatever reason
0: and i wonder if that comes um, in because i colored this episode thinking everyone was going to see something very different where they saw very small differences so in my dream it's like okay well, let's make it very different each time now
1: <laughs> would be um do, do you know the movie repulsion Do you ever hear of that movie
0: um, I've heard it's repulsing. That's that's is that Polanski?
1: Yeah, it's okay, that, really, That's as
0: smart as I can be about that. By the way, I haven't seen it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty good right there. It's a it's called Repuls. It was directed by Roman Polanski in 1965, so it's four years after the show, the episode that we're talking about. Just if you, to be familiar with the show. Oh, and it was co-written by Roman Polanski and a guy named Gerard Brock. I obviously looked it up. So I don't know if they were influenced by this Twilight Zone episode or not. The connection isn't, well, In this, it's a really scary movie, not where there's monsters and whatever, but it's scary because it leaves you with the feeling that right now, as you're sitting in the theater, which I was at the time, not in 65, I saw one of these things that play old movies, it leaves you with the feeling that you might be going insane right this very second and not realize it. That realization that that's a possibility is, to me, that was the scariest movie I ever saw because of that. I left that movie wondering, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe right now, everything around me is just not happening. I'm, I'm making it up. I'm, I'm, it's just, it, it, you know, so it left you with that. Now, this movie contained a lot of violence. Uh, it was explicit, uh, I guess, violence. Um, it was Catherine Deneuve's first movie who's a very pretty French actress. Um, But in it, she is left alone. She's kind of a weird person, but she looks normal. She's left alone for a weekend, and she goes crazy in this, and she ends up, spoiler alert if anybody's going to see it, she just ends up, uh, I don't know, I think she gets raped, but she ends up brutally killing people, hiding them in the different places in the house. She's walking through a hallway, and hands are coming through the walls. You know, like it looks like it's coming through latex or whatever that you see these shapes of fingers and faces are like the holes are moving as she walks through them so and it's so it's and, and it's real scary and, and it ends up um, the door, the sister comes back the house is a mess she's staying at her sister's house she's hiding under the table you know and she's and these dead people are, are going to be found all around so to me this is it was much more powerful for these reasons um, but the arrival here, I'm reading, has the potential. Well, the arrival has the has a little violence at the end, the potential of it when he puts his hand in the thing. But in in uh, in this case, you, you don't know. Also, he's going crazy without awareness, uh, as that girl did. Or I guess woman did uh, in in repulsion. Both of the I'll call them protagonists were were having experiences. And they were losing their mind and they didn't know what was real or not. And in the Twilight Zone, there's a reason for it because of Flight 107. In the other movie, I don't think they give any reason for it. So it gave you the feeling just could happen to you at any time. Like right now, Matthew, you, right now. It, are, everything you are experience is crazy. You're not, you're, <laughs> you are now in the beginning or middle stages of being insane. Oh, right. But you, don't, you don't even realize it. And that's so that's what repulsion left me with. This could is is similar to that, although since he has a reason for it and you don't quite get the idea that you could also be like him in, in the show and experiencing something that's not real. But it did have that in common with repulsion, which the second time, well, not the second time I've seen it, but the last shot time I looked at the show you sent me, you know, the arrival, I made that connection also to repulsion. I hadn't made that before. It, I feel like that's kind of
0: a emotional um uh, sorry, it sounds emotional connection doesn't sound like the right term, but a um like like it's more of the emotional content that's being replayed in repulsion, where I, I was thinking the opposite direction with the uh I guess the the more logic side going backwards to uh Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon, where we have, you know, four different versions of the same story. Yeah.
1: But no, that's they, not they, emotionally yeah, this, based. Yeah, no, this is definitely, to me, a psychological drama, a psychological uh, mystery, uh, as opposed to, it's also a regular mystery. where I mean, you're figuring out, like, Sherlock Holmes or what happened here. But then ultimately, it becomes this psychological mystery where you don't really know what's going on or why. And, you know, certain questions aren't answered, like that I'm answering it by this lucid dream possibility I'm just making up. Because it makes sense. I mean, I'm not just making it up. Oh, he was eating ice cream in uh, Carvel. Mm-hmm. They just didn't put that in the show. No. It, you know, it does fit uh, to me.
0: Um, and it's his, his so, actually it's his detective skills or his investigating skills that brings him down. When he proves he got it and he's smart, that that makes everything disappear. And now he's like a, a mess of a emotional wreck, basically.
1: Yeah, which is ironic because he's solving the case. That's his, That's what he thrives on. He, he, he prides himself on solving all these mysteries. When he solves this mystery, it creates, um, you know, more problems for him because now he realizes, I don't know if he realizes he's going crazy or he realizes he's in a dream, you know, but it, it's ironic that solving this case is detrimental to him in a way. But if he's in this mental state, something would have come up anyway at some point because uh, he's obviously trapped, you know, in something or other. And any oh. loose ends, of course, could be explained because it's the Twilight Zone. So you say, well, it's the
0: Twilight Zone. Yeah, you're allowed two loose but, ends in the Twilight Zone for episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I will ask about your notes a bit more, but I think a few of them might come out naturally if I start uh, asking I think the they questions. all came out. Okay. I think we'll they learn. all
1: came out already.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, in that case, I'm going to get to my questions and uh, see if we end up anywhere different uh three questions the first one is in this episode who exactly went into or through the twilight zone
1: well since it's the he's the protagonist sheckley
0: yeah I everything's think through his eyes. Obvious one.
1: <laughs> so the other people are just you know making creating them or or they're there but they they're just like um i don't know what guests uh characters servers. with him yeah they're not they're not oh what's going on Hell, they're in reality they're not in the twilight zone as the way he is that you know anyway so i would say that basically he's the one in the twilight zone and they disappear at the end so they're not really there so uh this is sheckley's uh journey into the twilight zone
0: yeah. So some episodes, that's a more difficult question, but I, I agree this one. It seems pretty clear cut, especially if it's a lucid dream. He's the only one there. Right. So um mm-hmm. so we Can you will
1: come up with an, uh, another possibility besides a lucid dream that.
0: Um, there is. OK, uh, I, I, I didn't bring it up earlier, basically, because I cannot remember the Russian author's name off the top of my head. Uh, Joe but, Smith yeah just joe smith but um the idea of quantum jumping which isn't it's kind of a close cousin to the some of the uh concepts yeah that was
1: a tv show uh quantum leap
0: oh yeah 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 so this guy was the idea that um basically like we are all moving through different realities so like again it's similar to you make your own reality but we're physically jumping so when i meet you the next time it's it's like a you know completely different iteration because we're all going in different directions through reality
1: the idea yeah, this of being... is what this is the idea of what the set material they would call probable realities in other places they sometimes say parallel universes but probable reality is when you make a choice to do something like let's say you know there are infinite probable realities but let's say you know you decide to walk out of your house you walk out at 101 a brick is gonna fall on your head. And the phone rings. You could ignore the phone, walk out at 101 and have the brick fall on your head. As a problem. that you know that's a possibility. You can answer the phone and say, I gotta get off quick and go out of the house 105 and find $50 on the floor. You could talk longer and leave 115 and meet somebody on the corner you end up getting married to. Or and, and there'll be infinite more. But let's take those three possibilities or probabilities. So you would know. Beforehand, subconsciously, of of those outside of linear time, what what the probabilities are, and then you choose which one you want to happen. So you choose the one you want to find fifty dollars. So you, you know that's what causes you to answer the phone, etc. And free will is always in place, so things could change. So um, as a, as what you're saying in this show, well, it fits in that this is a there. I would say this is a. Sheckley's probable reality because the other people are disappearing. If it was their probable reality, you know, Sheckley, in a sense, would disappear. But the fascinating thing about this concept, according to Seth, each probable reality continues on its own. So if you you know you know you, get, you, you do get hit with a brick in one of the probable realities. or if you decide you want to be a dancer or a doctor, you're both the dancer in one probable reality, a doctor in another. Multiply that by an infinite amount of all possibilities, and just when we're saying same thing with dreams. According to Seth, the dreams don't end when you wake up; they continue on. And you might have noticed with dreams, I have you kind of wake up in the middle of a dream. It's like it's ongoing. Suddenly, you're in the consciousness of whoever you are in that dream. If, you know, and then and then you wake up and you kind of leave, but the dream just continues. And if you're ever in a dream, and I, I sometimes do it, but sometimes mostly not, try to look in the mirror and see what you look like because because you're you, so you just think you're you. But if you look in the mirror, you, you might be somebody else that might be connected to you or not. So if you could somehow in a dream remember to look in the mirror, uh, you might be very surprised. Oh, yeah, I had a so, very uh,
0: trippy time with that. I had a dream once where I was – it was like a low ceiling room with red walls and kind of weird Aztec mosaics on it. And I was like, this must be a dream. So I did the jump method and it didn't work. I didn't float or anything. So I guess this is real. Then I looked in a mirror. I was like, Oh, whoa. Okay. This is a dream. <laughs> so what did you uh, look like? It, oh, it was like my face turned into like psychedelic snakes that I then went through like a vortex or something. <laughs>
1: okay. I, I I don't mean that though. That's interesting. And it's a dream, but I mean, you, you look, It's realistic. But it just was for a you. second, you a, and then
0: it broke down into you, like you just have yeah.
1: another face, like you're another mm-hmm. person. Yeah, like you somebody from 1930. You're a woman from 1930, but because you're only dealing with your mind in the dream, and maybe some things around you, you never actually see yourself in a dream. And I've also,
0: I've also had a few cases where I woke up and like kind of frustrated or something and went back into the dream right to finish it so Mm -hmm. i I guess in that way yeah the dream was still continuing so i could like kind of jump back in and having not fully woken up i guess i was still able to slide on back in after visibly waking up in my room
1: how would you tie this to the show then the arrival this quantum Um, possibility
0: well what i was thinking so in the the sethian idea like on a subconscious you know framework to level we're all agreeing that plane is there even if it has small differences so it cannot just disappear in the quantum jumping idea um you i guess had the personal ability to completely jump into a new reality in which you could it's sort of like you have to move i guess organically through the the sethian idea where the quantum jumping you're just instantly popping into a completely different reality
1: yeah. And is it in your in your version of this, are you in control of it or not in control?
0: Um both. It's like everyone's doing it, so it'd be, you know, taking control of it. I, I don't know how many people have successfully completely altered their reality in a, in an instant, but I'm just saying it, it from that perspective, maybe it would make a little more sense in the in the case of the arrival that the plane could just instantly disappear and the people could just instantly disappear.
1: Okay, so you're saying the plane disappeared because he Shifted into uh, another, like a probable reality, another it, alternate reality. You know, yeah, I, 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 I do. That.
0: I I like the lucid dream uh, interpretation, but I was like trying to find a way that you could make this be like, oh, this is happening uh, again. I I I'm gonna go with the dream, but just okay. If it is reality, yeah, but, is it possible?
1: But um, you know, because you got to remember, after this, he does meet the people. He does go by the hangar, and he does get uh arrested but it gets taken away, so it's kind. It kind of stays in this this reality, and it's kind of like in this reality, the plane disappeared for X reasons, you know, for some reason. Well, I have my reason, <laughs> but um. So, is that your first question?
0: Oh, oh, that well, that was my first question. My second question, <laughs> um, and and this is phrased the same in every episode. Uh, did, in this case, Shackley deserve his trip into the twilight zone?
1: Okay, who are we really to judge (laughs) not only what what other people deserve, but, you know, I guess it's easy to judge in a movie what you think people deserve because you see all the, let's just say not in this case, but you see all the bad things they do and the harm. So let's say in the movie, you know, yeah, he deserves to be killed like that or tricked like that, you know, because it's a movie. He's not a real person and everything he did. Yeah, he deserves it, you know, as a as a movie. Um, In real life, I don't think people deserve uh, to be killed. Anyway, so in movies and TV shows, we're we're privy. We're we're like uh, gossipers that see everything. You know, we we see what goes on behind closed doors. We hear what everybody says behind closed doors. It's literature and movies is all gossip from the viewer's point of view. Everything that goes on in a movie is gossip because we're hearing what they're saying we hear what the other people say but other people don't hear so in the, in the movie any movie you could make you could sometimes decide if somebody deserves it or not or you can say you know that character really didn't deserve to die at the end he didn't do anything wrong he didn't deserve to be lied to in in in, in movies in this particular show there's nothing in it that ha- that goes into shetley's personality about what he deserves It goes into it to to a degree, I guess, we make it up also, of why it's happening, of why he's creating this, what's happening to him. You can't say, does he deserve what's happening to him? He's doing it because he's upset, losing his mind, uh, having, you know, whatever he's having, lucid dream or losing his mind. It's not that he deserves it or not. He's experiencing it because he couldn't, he's trapped. You know, he, He couldn't get out of it. He couldn't get out of the, idea that he failed this one time. You know? Yeah, I think he might have been,
0: he might have put, I mean, of course, you know, in your, your line of work, your job, do you put do your best, all that sort of thing, but don't drive yourself nuts, you know?
1: <laughs> right.
0: You, you don't he want, did. yeah, so. Now, I we mean, don't know
1: what happened. Remember, something led up to this. So he was, it must have been in the back of his mind. I don't think every day for 17 years of drinking and focusing on it, but it's certainly festering. And then, when this plane was landing at this particular time, he heard it on the radio. We saw it in the newspaper. Somehow, he became aware of it, you know, telepathically. So I think that was, that was the trigger. That either it, you know, when you repress emotions, let's say anger, it explodes in, into violence. You have to express your emotions, and it's the uh, you know repression of anger that leads to violence, not the expression. So if he was repressing this for so long, let's say he was repressing it mostly for 17 years, then it could explode into this, you know, delusion, uh, lucid dream because it was like, you know, like steam in a kettle, whatever it's called. And it exploded. So he might not have been suffering a lot until this trigger just made everything explode.
0: Again, if it's a dream. If it's a dream. To me, it makes more sense. He might be in a great situation. Maybe he just took a trip to Hawaii. He's actually sleeping in a bungalow by the beach, and he just happened to see Flight 107 on the flight board coming through the airport that day.
1: Somehow, however he saw it, he saw it. But the intensity of the experience to me, again, now that I'm thinking of it this way and right in the moment, I don't think he was suffering the whole time. I think he repressed it to a good degree because this is like an explosion. Now, they could have... It could be that each week he was telling people about it. They told him to shut up and we don't want to hear it again. It could have been always on his mind. They don't They don't tell you that one way or the other. But just given the, and, and it could have built up to it that way, but just given the intensity of it, I have a feeling this was something that exploded into his, more uh, repressed something that exploded into his consciousness that led to this delusion, lucid dream, or, or whatever it is. Um so it's not really a question of he deserved it or not. It's not he didn't do anything mm-hmm. within himself, you know.
0: The last question I threw on these episodes: uh, this is not a rating of quality. This is the uh, tripometer, from zero to five, uh, five being extremely trippy, zero being not that trippy. Uh, where would you like to place this episode? Um,
1: well, given the explanation I now have, it, okay ongoingly, it's very trippy. But to me, as it comes to its conclusion, and I didn't you know, put my ideas on it, then it's not trippy. Because now it's just an idea of somebody having, we're coming in on somebody's lucid dream, it's kind of a scary lucid dream in a way, uh, and he's not aware that he's having this dream. And if that's the case, you know, that's not really trippy. It's psychological, but not trippy. Um, so, you know, other you know like what about the twilight zone where the lady is cleaning house and there's those the little the little UFOs that are there
0: uh, the invaders you, you know,
1: I don't know yeah, I don't know the name of it and then we find out that that uh, she's not a giant. They're from earth or something it was Yeah yeah they, that's
0: the invaders. They're
1: visiting. Yeah. Now is that trippy? It it you know it's good. It in a way but then it makes sense because the end to says well, they're from earth and this is a planet of much bigger people you know uh you know or that kid that playing the the kid gets, makes everybody follow his commands because he could i, I forgot now what he did it's Turned a good life
0: into, it's coming up in a few yeah, weeks
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> whatever so i'm you know maybe the word trippy but you know usually the twilight zone explains things and in, in in ways that could take away that trippiness but you know like that one with that kid I would say that's more trippy, Mm. even though they give you the explanation of it. It's still, you know, it's like science. It's like weird. That's not going to happen in real life. The kid (laughs) isn't going to turn people into whatever he does. So uh, maybe the way you judge what I judge what's trippy is, could it happen in real life or not? If it can't happen in real life, it's trippy. If it can happen in real life, it's either not trippy or less trippy. So this show, to me, is something that can happen in real life. Have a lucid dream not aware of it. So I would say it's either not trippy or less trippy. Okay. Although as it's, as you're being aware of it, it, it certainly is trippy. You know, how, how is all this happening? But then it ends up not being trippy.
0: Okay. That, that's the point of the question. Cause I think, you know, people's definition of trippies varies, right? For me, I, I was actually, I, I think of my rating before I start recording. So, you know, cause I, I was putting a four on this one. Uh, not not the five full on, but four, because again, there's a lot of trippy stuff that we have to talk about. And then a lot of Twilight Zones just have that money shot scene. And I find that often influences how I rate it on the tripometer. And for me, that whole propeller scene that's just one of the best things that's been on the show. Uh, I, I don't think this is quite a top five episode for me, but that's a top five scene. Just there's like a whole half minute of anticipation.
1: That scene, that scene was trippy.
0: Yeah, yeah. That scene was
1: a five on Trippy Dome. The scene itself that you're talking about, that that would would I give a five to. Yeah. The whole show I give, you know, ongoing, it gets trippy in and out. But as a whole, after I put my meaning to it, I'd have to give it a a two, maybe.
0: Yeah, sure. A whole show. Uh, Uh, a few weeks ago we did the silence where we were like okay this episode is either a zero or a five but it cannot be a 2.5 because of what you said like can this happen in real life and in that episode uh the silence completely could there's nothing supernatural so what was the show
1: about that one
0: that is that one about that's where at the uh the the richmond's club uh the the older gentleman uh makes a bet with the younger gentleman that he can stay completely silent for a year because he talks too much.
1: Oh oh, God, that's horrible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. completely plausible, oh, just, but, but they're, what they're doing is so whack that for us, it's like zero or five on the trip of the for us. It's for us. Yeah.
1: As a trip of me, you know, they have movies like that also where somebody does something, he will kill somebody and then they realize, but that person didn't do it. It was just a mistake. In this case, he's tricking them. People do get, yeah. But, yeah, um, you know what was a good one, like in the trippy way, where those old people become young people and they, yes. they're starting to play soccer or whatever they it is?
0: Kick the Can, which is uh, recreated yeah. in the 1983 movie. So they did it at least twice.
1: Uh uh-huh. So I, I don't. Uh, and uh, there's also the Santa Claus. One. There's a lot of those that are trippy. In that one, the Kick the Can one, do they ever resolve it? Do they stay stay young? Do they become old again? I don't remember.
0: Um, I've ends- most recently seen the movie version in which I believe they, you know what I don't even remember, well, I think they stay young in the movie version except for one person who just accepts their age or something like that um, I, I don't quite remember to be honest but uh, that's one that we're yeah. coming up to I think later in the season so um,
1: well that's amazing with movies, there are movies I've seen Debbie and I we've both seen and we like a lot really a lot and then we realize we have no idea how it ended you know, like later on, like six months later, we loved that movie, but we still don't remember. don't remember that. In the, I sent it to you because I came up across it, but I realized now they're all over the place. The radio versions of the Twilight Zone. Um, I don't know if you. I, I sent you a copy of one. Oh yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, these it, Blu-rays like I have 47, actually. Forty-seven. It's like forty-seven. It's like twice as long as this. So it must not change it, really. It must just... Um, but I wonder if there's other clues in it because they did make it longer. I didn't, I haven't listened to it.
0: Yeah, you have to, I guess, describe yeah. things more because it's a uh, radio style, but... It gives
1: more answers. Maybe gives more answers, even. Mm. You know, it throws in something that might even give an answer. You Because know, those a were
0: produced somewhere in the mid-2000s, I think. So they're, they're a relatively recent production. So that would also, you know, it's not coming from the 60s. So it, it might be colored somewhat differently. But then sometimes so they have, like, very interesting actors taking on the, the voice roles. So, you know, like yeah, more...
1: Shows, popular. I don't know if it's with the Twilight Zone, you might know, but shows like Gunsmoke, by the way, you still got to do that song, that Gunsmoke and um, Have Gun Will Travel. Oh, yeah, yeah, West yeah, New yeah. Wales. <laughs> anyway, Gunsmoke and um was I didn't realize it, was was a radio show for a long time. Even into the fifties, it was both on TV and radio. So those were ongoing, they're old fashioned radio shows, even though it's in the, they got, they went into the fifties. Um so I don't know if the Twilight Zone was ever a radio show like that, like it, it was simultaneously on the radio. You're it saying not but, this is, but Serling...
0: Late actually got his start doing radio, you know, writing stories. And so it's not the Twilight Zone, but Serling did get his start doing this sort of thing on radio. Uh, there's The Hitchhiker from season one was a radio show long before they did The uh, Twilight Zone, for example. And it
1: just wasn't obviously on The Twilight Zone. But do you know if, uh, that, that's the one where that lady sees The Hitchhiker all the time?
0: That's right, which is uh, death following her around, basically. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I wonder how that differs. Well, something like that, you know, could probably be pretty much like it. It's the same story. Well, when we
0: talked about, I think in the radio version, the the driver was a man, not a woman, so that really changes mm-hmm. the tone of the story, you know. And yeah.
1: uh, you know, would start. Go ahead.
0: Sorry. Oh, I was just saying, with- yeah, uh, these iterations uh, you'll find a lot of these Twilight Zones go back. Like there was another episode I can't remember off the top of my head, but goes back to a story from like sixty years earlier. Um, it was, oh, the Odyssey of Flight 33, which is an airplane, but in this very old version, it's a coach, you know, a horse strong coach, because the original story dates from 1900, so the Twilight Zone obviously changed it quite a bit, but.
1: And which is this airplane one, the one that, that they're lost? Th- wh- wh- which, what happens in, in the story?
0: Uh, the Odyssey of Flight 33, where they um seem to be f- uh. F- catapulted, you know, back and forward in time.
1: Right. They lo they look down, they see dinosaurs and stuff. And yeah,
0: and the world's there. fair. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. So,
0: very and You know very what was cool. a great
1: one? Willoughby. I've Oh yeah, i cool. that They stop, stop at Willoughby. Willoughby. That, yeah,
0: that, that's always yeah. in my top five yeah, twilight that, sense.
1: That has <laughs> yeah. and my we joke about that sometimes. You now people have little <laughs> phrase jokes oh, yeah. with each other. That's that that's part of one of them. Um <laughs> That was trippy. It was, yeah, don't I think know it what got that, a pretty
0: high rating.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> I guess. Yeah,
1: um, the, I was going to say Star Star Trek is has a lot of, Sethian ideas in it. Now, that came after the Seth material, you know, in the middle of the Seth material. And Jane and Rob uh, love Star Trek. Also, um, offhand, I don't remember all the connections, but there there's many, many Seth ideas in. Uh, that would be another show. Many, many stiff ideas in Star
0: Trek. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, I'm, I mean, you know, Star Trek is very, very closely related to the Twilight Zone. It's just we get the same cast every week and we're in space, you know. <laughs> but as far as, like, the content, yeah, it's pretty close to what you get on, on the original zone. So, <laughs> which is sometimes... I
1: was just saying in general, Star Trek has a lot of Sethian ideas in it. Um, and it's you know it's out there like the Twilight Zone, so you could say, yeah. But it makes sense. It's the future and the different planets and different people. The way, it's it's a great show. I never watched too much. It's and it's my my fault.
2: Mm-hmm. The newer
1: versions, you know, like the five up for updated versions with the different captains and the blind guy Data. I think his name is. Uh, so I, I'm not that up on those shows because I spoiled. Or I spoiled myself with the original. Uh, Three-year show. Yeah, but I'm a pretty great. tied in
0: the old Trekkie. I'm, I'm doing the Twilight Zone because my podcast pals all do Star Trek, so I got I got to do something else. Not that, I mean, honestly, the Twilight Zone as good as Star Trek. I would say for the most part. Oh, but yeah. There's I, there's a few bummers. Kavanagh is coming is coming at the end, end of the season. You know, That's a there, pretty.
1: There are two other shows that would like that: One, yeah. One Step Beyond and The Outer Limits. <clears throat> you ever hear those shows? They're, oh they yeah, would oh like yeah. The Twilight Zone, exactly. You know, yeah, they were, yeah, they.
0: Yeah, the other one's on my good. shelf because I say from beyond because I got I got tales from the dark side, night gallery, Ray Bradbury theater on yeah. my, my shelf here. So, but
1: back back in the black and white days, when when I, I think while wow, Twilight Zone was actually on, I'd have to double check. I think that's where One Step Beyond was on, and Outer Limits. Yeah, the I think Un- that One Step Beyond was
0: a little earlier, and then Outer Limits was about the same time.
1: The thing about One Step Beyond that's fascinating. Everything's based on a true story, and you know I didn't believe it at first, or partially. And then I started looking up, like on on a Google, like a certain thing that happened, like the book that they had a thing about a book called The Titan, that had everything like what happened to the Titanic, practically, practically like a mirror. And um, but that but the tit- Titanic sank. I don't know, two years later or five years month whatever it was so i looked up there really was a book called titan and it had all these It had it was almost the same size as the titanic it was like they it was like it was written after the titanic
0: yeah i heard about that it is pretty wild
1: yeah and there are other things that you could look up with that show and it's verified so the, they took things from the newspaper or things that were in the, like uh gossip you know whatever it's called when people pass stories on but a lot of them. Hey, they were true. So that that was the slant mm. of of that show.
0: I'll have to go uh, with that. I, 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 I almost I almost bought a set of it last year. Uh, the reason I didn't is about I think it's like maybe a quarter of those shows have been lost to time. It's like, well, I'd be buying an incomplete set. But that probably doesn't matter. But yeah, that, that that's one where, you know, 50s television, some of these shows have just Fallen into the memory hole you know like there's no existing copy of some of these episodes now
1: especially radio shows well, about 80 percent are missing
0: oh yeah yeah. Uh, yes. twilight zone got to that static shows. where we have a uh, dean yeager like flipping out because he's hearing transmissions from 20 years earlier you know
1: <laughs> but um the uh outer limits to me has too many monsters and stuff in it sometimes there's really good shows to get my taste sometimes they're very interesting shows and i would like them i have it they have i have it set to uh you know, DVR, that it records, that it records them. Um, so I could see what they're about. Same thing with One Step Beyond. But a lot of times they involve monsters and murder. and, and so. Yeah, like that's always kind of kept me a little
0: bit away yeah. from The Outer Limits, just a little more alien in the yeah. week. Of, of course, Rod followed up with Night Gallery, which is a little more gruesome than The Twilight Zone.
1: Yeah, I watched that somewhat. I didn't watch that religiously. Yeah. To do with the, when you're a kid, you watch things like
0: there are some very good ones um and then my thought is to do all the twilight zones like up to the one they did a few years ago then go back and do night gallery because oh hey here's rod again yay (laughs) get back to some at the uh, end it's a decade
1: endeavor you know yeah 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 a decade long endeavor
0: um Mm. i guess we'll wrap up today so uh, if you could tell the listeners where to find uh, some of your stuff because you got books of poetry books of 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 Seth, yeah. uh, we do some music. Where, where do you want people to go? <laughs> yeah.
1: um, I'm, you know, I'm usually not prepared at all. So if uh, I have a great book of poetry, I'll say so myself. I've written four thousand plus poems, and Seth referred to me in class as our poet. And um, before I ever met Seth, a lot of Seth-type ideas are in the poems anyway. But so I I have one poetry book out, and um, of course I don't know where it is now. Oh, here it is. They, but uh, you can get these things on, uh, I don't know if it's coming up, mirrored, backwards, forwards. It's called um, Outside is a Secret Key. You can get that on um, Amazon. I have my own set book. It's called Seth Q&A. Oh, by the way, I'm going to put out uh, on this um, Kindle thing. You can put out your own things. And I got, you know, as I said, 4,000 poems. I got about at least easily 10 poetry books. I just want to get out there already in book form but it could be even 20. But right now, that book you can get on Amazon. You can get the, uh, it's called Seth Material Q&A, which somewhere I have a copy of it, but I, of course, I'm not good at self-promotion. Uh, instead, I'm just not good at it. <laughs> if it entered my mind, I might be good at it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so you could get that also at uh, on Amazon. Now, my, my email address, and you can put it up on, on the or wherever it's, Bargel. B-A-R-G-E-L-L at AOL.com. And if people write me, I could, I the the, the book, the Seth book is, is like $20. um. But what I do is that uh, if people write me and give me their birthday, I go through all my you know, poems. And I, I pick out the poems I wrote on their birthday. You know, not the year necessarily at all, but the day. So I would then include. I send poems I wrote on their birthday in there. I sign it. I, you know, the thing. I make some kind of. Oh, here it is. I make some kind of. Again, it's backwards, but this is what it looks like. I don't know if you see it backwards.
0: I got it forward.
1: Oh, okay. Um, and so I write a little thing on the inside. You know, to Joe Smith, who's that Russian author, <laughs> and I write you know something to him and and you know and then i'll include the poems but that that that's thirty dollars for me to do all that work and of course i send it uh so, but you can get it easier online on uh without all that stuff without sign without the poems on amazon and and it's there so that and I'm, I'm working on a book which i am religiously procrastinating which i'm very good at that's going to be it's Seth class q a and it's because it's questions and answers about, yeah. What the book is, it's questions and answers. It's called um, The Spiritual Inner Journey of Self-Awareness, Original Seth Class Member Answers Your Questions. So people over the years, you know, 10 years or so, write you know write me questions and stuff, you know, and then I answer them, you know, like in, in this, I don't know what this one is, but here's like the question, and then I answer it. So it has essays in it as well as uh, questions and answers about the Seth material. And so the one about set class is going to be like that, but more questions and answers specifically about class. And but that you can't get it Amazon yet. Mm. Yeah, it's upcoming, somewhere.
0: And, and of course, if you oh. take your email name Bargal, put that into YouTube, you will find uh, the videos you posted of uh, some tunes we've done. So, if you want to yes, hear the music side. Yeah. There's a place to do that.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I really think that's worthwhile. And I got to do more of it. I have a whole pile. You can see I'm good at putting things off. That I want to do. You know, it's on my long list of what I want. It's The list isn't in any order, but it would be on the top. Making up more of those videos for, for the songs you already did and we already put into what we call albums. Um, I don't have, we don't have, I only think I have like eight music videos for us something like that. Yeah, There's a sample like have, that, like, that people can We, sh- we should have 10, 20. <laughs> we should have over 30 because we have 30 songs that are designated that way. <laughs> um, but you could check out the songs as well. I always try to have the lyrics in the video so you could read the lyrics. Right. Oh, yeah. the, the dark side of... Cle- did you see the, the Clearview one? Yes, I did. Looking <laughs> through the dark yeah, yeah, I showed
0: that's, that to a few other people too. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the one I did... I, from my point of view the best with the pictures and the lyrics and everything uh, so check
0: out that maybe hey, maybe i'll leave a link for that as well in the uh notes <laughs>
1: yeah that would be good
0: okay well as for this podcast uh, it's time enough podcast of course uh you can find us time enough pod on twitter facebook and on patreon we are podcastio podcastius where we also do uh podcasts about sci-fi films and matt and luke's sci-fi sanctuary Disney films with a Occult Disney, and there's some video gaming ones with um, Luke Loves Pokemon, Monster Mash, about Monster Hunter, and the Game Game Show, which is for British guys yelling insults at each other. So we, we have our little oh, weird... That sounds like
1: Parliament. Yeah. That's the British <laughs> Parliament, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I've seen a few clips of that. I was like, whoa, really? <laughs> <laughs> British Parliament votes are good. The, the other one, fun, recently... Um, uh, Luke of Matt Luke's sci-fi sanctuary in our business meeting while we were waiting started putting on YouTube clips of giraffes fighting. Have you ever seen this?
1: No, mm, giraffes fight with each other?
0: Yeah, they're whipping each other's necks around each other. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> nah, not interesting. Wrestling.
0: Wrestling, I guess. I don't know. It was really bizarre as you're saying well, around. usually animals have
1: animals have conflicts like that to avoid, you know, killing each other. Like mm. that's how they soften. They, they do things with the neck. They could butt the, those animals that butt their head. Sometimes they just make loud noises at each other, stand up tall. But that's the natural way to avoid violence, which humans have not reached that height, you know, to just yell at each other and make a lot of noise and then solve it or actually talk it out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, oh. Anyway, that's for the giraffes. Yeah. <laughs> giraffes Park. Giraffic Park.
0: Ooh! Ouch. <laughs> as for as for now, I'm gonna go uh, stick my hand in a propeller and see what happens.
1: <laughs> okay, I, I'll do it too. Ah! So, it was great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining in.
1: <laughs> I have ketchup on that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bye, everybody. See you, Bye. Matt.
2: tightness and you are the toughness and you are the handles that hold things in place you are the lightness that guides our thought inward and you are the angel who falls on his face you are the coming of men and their beauty You are the sighing of smiles and pain You are the growing of trees and the coming The flowers and dying of cotton and rain You are the rollings of trees and axles You are the foldings of lives gone astray are the knowing, and you are the knower You are the known grown, so young and so gay Rhythms of breathing and gazing You are the softness of thighs and of breasts You're the discomfort that keeps grandpa snoring You are the riches found hidden in chests You are the farmings and you are the flowings And you are the soother of sorrows and You are the lotion and you're the forgiveness. You are the answer to everyone's dreams.